0: hey welcome into the real estate scoop Hey, we're gonna get directly into it you already know who i like to bring on as my favorite lender to speak with oscar we're gonna get into it again today baby uh oscar how was your merry christmas man
1: oh it was good craig it was good uh you know I just got to spend time with the wife how about your christmas craig uh you know
0: opening some gifts you know kids got what they always get and then you know it's just been another holiday that's I awesome. try not to get tied awesome. up in Christmas. I like vacations but more so than staying at home, but this is our uh, first Christmas in the house. So we stay here this year, but next Christmas, goal setting, I plan on being on vacation.
1: That's a plan. That's a plan. <laughs> yeah, that <not> plan on <laughs> it.
0: So let's get directly into it. I think we got a jam-packed episode for the audience today. I really think that uh, we can get into some things uh, in preparation for 2023 that maybe we're going to focus a little bit on home buyers in this episode. Well, we talk about uh, basically how to prepare yourself if you have not already taken steps to prepare yourself for getting yourself set up, ready to purchase a home in 2023. So let's talk about some tips that uh, we can start with. What would be some advice as a lender that you would want to see a prospective client show up with ready to go? That way you can help them make the best of their situation.
1: Uh, I guess, uh, the best scenario would be somebody, let's say, uh, somebody wants to purchase a home in 2023, I guess somebody with a clean slate, really, you know, um, they come to me and say, Hey, uh, Oscar, like, what could I do to purchase a home? And, you know, they come to me and I can take a look at what they got going on. If there's nothing going on, perfect. I can kind of guide them in the right direction. Okay. So, so
0: that's, that's, that's
1: picture perfect situation, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: How often do you pick- get one of
1: those? uh never honestly because uh (laughs) usually you know when somebody's trying to purchase a home they already life's already happened you know they finance a card they have you know multiple credit cards that they utilize so they have debt um stuff like that but yeah um for the younger guys who younger guys and gals who are trying to purchase a home i think that's one thing you know they should do is just contact the mortgage loan officer that way they can figure out where they're at in their financial situation and then we can go from there.
0: So, okay. So now typically, how does this usually work for you? I am I'm, I'm I feel like we already know the answer, but let's just see how this works. So typically somebody says, Oh, I want to purchase a home. Let me call my mortgage officer first. <laughs> or do they, Oh, I want to purchase a home. They call the agent first or an agent yeah. that they think they want to meet with. And, and that agent is typically one that has to reach, uh, has the person makes the introduction for you with the, with the client or, does it work where you just get the phone call first?
1: No, so uh, nine out of ten times they contact the real estate agent first because you know everybody knows what a real estate agent is. you know it's kind of like the sexy thing in the real estate industry a real estate agent a mortgage a mortgage guy is not so sexy, you know it doesn't sound sexy, so uh, I feel like that way that that way is more appealing to people, so they contact the real estate agent and then the real estate agent refers business down to me.
0: Got you, got you. So this is why it's important for lenders and agents to kind of have like that uh, symbiotic relationship where they have like a referral program for each other. So that way that they can actually help eat each other out and grow the business, but also give the client more avenues to actually get somebody who's gonna be in their corner and work for them.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's how it usually works. Um, You know, there, there's some, you know, some point in my career, I wanna, you know, refer business as much as the cancer real estate agents, but that's just the reality of like the mortgage industry.
0: Yeah. I mean, so I I would I mean I would be highly impressed. I have not seen it obviously, but I'm pretty sure it does happen a lot um, in certain cases where lenders get calls first and then they refer them back down to a, a business. I think like more of the, more of the big branch uh, lenders probably have that thing where they basically do referral programs, but I yeah, I even highly doubt they they really use nose as much as well too. But okay, so we get to the point where... Um, we get to the point where the person realizes they want to purchase a home and then you realize that there's some things that happen in life, like you call them, uh, that they've already had action that has ha- happened. And they may, they may be close to qualifying, but they're not ready to qualify yet. Before we get into what you would guide them or, you know, advise them to do, let's talk about what are some of the qualifications they need.
1: Yeah, so some of the qualifications they need, I mean, they need like a, you know, a two-year work history. Doesn't have to be exactly a two-year work history. If you recently graduated, like from college or technical school, you can still use that as work history. You just we just need to see the transcript so you can back it up, and then because all the lenders want to see is that you have stable income coming in. Okay. Credit score? Credit score uh, just depends. Some lenders can only deal with like six hundred and twenty. Uh, myself as a broker, we can deal with five hundred and eighty. But usually, when it comes to that. You know they have to have a little bit of reserves in their bank account that way you know because we run it through a system called uh, aus and usually when it comes down to those lower credit scores the more reserves they have in their bank account the more of a chance we have them to get them approved through that system okay
0: and then what about also debt to income ratio what's the max that you're looking for
1: so with debt to income ratio it, re- it really depends on who you're shopping with like. Some lenders can only do like forty five percent you know, but myself you know it just depends on what type of programs we do like when it comes to v a we can sometimes get it to 55, 50, you know fifty six percent just depending on the situation that the person has going on so okay. so what
0: happened if you run into a situation i'm just thinking, i'm just I'm just spitballing ideas what have you run into a situation where um a couple they're wanting to apply for a mortgage together and one couple one person in the couple qualifies but the other doesn't
1: yeah so uh you know we i've had that scenario happen right it's like um one couple has excellent you know one person has excellent um credit you know 700 plus and their spouse you know has like a crappy credit score and that we can't use it so what usually happens is we try to disqualify that single person on their own and just we won't include the spouse in that transaction.
0: OK, so that's but that's uh, so because that in Virginia, I guess you can do that, right? Because it's not a um, it's not what a common law state. I think that's what it's
1: called. Yeah, I'm not sure. yet, But in, yeah, I know in Virginia. Yeah, we, we can do that.
0: Yeah, I know. Like in California, you can't do it because well, you can't. They can be. They have to still be on the loan and the and all the documents for the loan. But they they loan score doesn't have to qualify them for the the mortgage though. They can still have to just be on everything. So, um, but obviously they can still be on the title and everything else in Virginia too if they want to pay the extra fee for the title in that way, right? Say that again. So for the titling, uh like if they want to be on the title, the spouse needs to be on the title for whatever they had just the, the 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 qualifier just has to pay the extra fee yeah. to have the person on the title, right?
1: Yeah, so yeah, so the quality, yeah, you can do that. You can have one person just qualify for the loan, but both people can be on title. Yeah, that's totally gotcha. fine. All right. So we talked we
0: talked about credit score, we talked about uh debt to income ratio. We talked about uh, two years worth of uh, history. OK, so one of the things that you did say was that basically even if you came out of college, so say I'm a doctor, what I be able to qualify at a doctor's salary, even if I did not all of I have like one year of history and then the rest of was college transcripts. Would you still be willing to take the assume the risk of the loan with a doctor's income salary if they only had one uh-huh. year of history?
1: Yeah, I don't think so, because I think when, you know, when it comes to doctors, they're still like on the, it's kind of like they're in the military, they still have to like go up through the ranks. I know once they like graduate, they, they don't make doctor salary right off the bat. I think they got to go through certain stages until they get to that point.
0: Okay. So that they finished the intern and all that yeah. stuff. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So I just wanted to kind of give clarity to that situation too. So I guess the same would be, the, it would be almost the same for lawyers as well too. Eventually they'll get to a point where they're making that income, but they just not going to start right out the gate no matter what.
1: Yeah. Cause uh, I think the lenders have to like take into consideration, like how much income they're making, you know, and if they are able to afford the mortgage right now. Right. You know. So, so what about a 1099 employee?
0: Like how difficult is that is it for a 1099 employee to actually um, get qualified because sometimes 10.99 employees their income is uh is not as fluent they're not it's not gonna be as consistent as someone right. who's a salary employee.
1: Yeah, so when it comes to 10.99 um I would say this if you're a 10.99 employee out there and you're trying to purchase a home in 2023, just be careful of what you're writing off. Because you know you can make sixty thousand dollars, but um you're writing all this stuff off fifty thousand dollars. We're gonna take we're gonna take in consideration that you've technically only made ten thousand dollars that year so
0: i was not expecting you to say so wait so the tax deductions are not considered huh okay that's something that i didn't know yeah
1: so that's one thing that you have we have you have to be very careful if you're 1099 because um you know i haven't dealt with it personally but i've seen um you know my boss deal with it that they you know say they make you know a hundred thousand dollars, but they wrote off ninety thousand dollars. You know.
0: <laughs> so you mean to tell me, as a content creator slash realtor, if I decide that one day my content becomes king, and I decide to go into space, I better have all my ducks in a row with with all yeah. my I'm about to buy my house before I, I decide to to go into yeah. in content create That is crazy. I didn't know that. Like. So that makes it insanely difficult. So you have to have a good CPA that kind of can, can work you yeah. through these things to kind of advise you on these things in advance.
1: Yeah, so I would say, yeah, I would suggest if you're 1099, like I would suggest you having a good CPA on your side, you know, I feel like it's worth you paying that amount just so you can, you know, you're you're all right when it comes to buying a home.
0: Wow. So have a good CPA if you're a 1099 employee and then definitely understand you might need to have a lot of cash on hand to even purchase a home.
1: Yeah, yeah. When it comes to 1099, yeah, because um, I've dealt with a situation, I mean, this is a non-QM loan that I dealt with. Um, This person was a 1099, right? So this is a real experience. Um, He'd only made like $60,000, but he wrote off $50,000. And um, this individual that we were dealing with, it was a non-QM loan. So the way that we were able to, you know, qualify him was through um, bank statements. So they Mm. they would average out the 12 in 12 months, they would do a you know, they would average out all the um all the deposits from his job.
0: Wow. And they gave him a number, and then that number was the income that y'all considered that he reasonably could probably how do you reasonably even expect him to make that the next year though?
1: Yeah, see, see that's one thing when it comes to 1099 too. It's like um, you know, the employer wants to see if, you know. When if you're going from a W-2 position, like let's say right now, like if you're going from W-2 and next year you go 1099, that's gonna be a huge problem when you're trying to get approved for a loan because lenders wanna see steady income.
0: Right. Right. Okay, so man, okay, so this is a good conversation already. So let's let's talk about this a little bit more in depth because this 1099 thing has me has me perplexed a little bit. Okay, so All right, so when you say that they they averaged out the income, basically averaged out the deposit, they came up with the income, then this person has to somewhat give you, like, a business plan that they're going to expect to make more than that the following year? Or is it just, okay, we believe that you're going to make this again?
1: Yeah, um, when it comes to that, I believe, like, uh, let's say, if they're, like, applying for a home loan, like, in the middle of the year, and uh, we're just going to – we're just kind of, like, see – usually like let's say they 1099 we'll just average out the last two years that mm. they did their taxes but um and this in this person's scenario he wasn't um he wasn't a u.s citizen so it's <laughs> itin loan so <laughs> that it makes not, it even more crazy yeah so it was, it was pretty crazy but uh you know we finally got him a you know pre-approved but it was uh, definitely difficult
0: <laughs> that that basically shows that you had that you, y'all provided a great service y'all didn't get y'all just didn't shut it down and say hey well you didn't qualify we'll figure we we sorry. go try another broker y'all work with the person to figure out exactly detailed reasons why y'all could make it work and help that person secure a loan
1: yeah and that was kind of the advantage of you know working with me uh with the real estate agent you know she came to me like knowing that i could kind of like solve this problem for this individual and uh even though it was a you know, not when not QM loans. They come with high interest rates. In this scenario, he has to do a heavy down payment. But at least we kind of like provided something there for him. You know, we didn't reject him, and uh, we didn't give him the idea that he can't apply for a loan. You know, but he also had the he also gave y'all flexibility because he was able to make that that
0: high deposit as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that too. I mean, uh, he was like, re- like it all comes down to communication, you know, there's, you know, I asked for the, you know, a year's worth of um, bank statements that way we can average it out. A lot of people when it comes down that path, it's like they won't, you know, continue down. They'll be like, they'll just give up and get frustrated. But um, yeah, so he, he gave me all the information that we needed and we were able to like, you know, Give him something. Give him a pre-approval. Okay, so now let's talk about.
0: Basically, you kind of like already answered my second question because we was going, we started down the pathway of actually talking about how someone gets qualified, right? What do they need? And then my my second question was going to be, okay, now they run into bumps in the road with their credit report. What what avenues did you have you help them with to try to get that corrected?
1: Bumps in the road with credit report. What do you mean? Like they have a low credit score? <laughs>
0: uh, lower Yeah, let's start with low credit score. Let's start there.
1: <laughs> Yeah, so when it comes to low credit scores, um, let's say um they're below that 580 mark, I would kind of it just depends where the, where they're at really. If they, because a lot of the times what I ask a, a person first, it's like, oh, how's your credit? You know, and usually they get it off these consumer apps, you know, like Credit Karma,
0: Credit yeah. Wise. Uh, I'm trying to think, Credit Sesame. Which those are
1: them.
0: those are soft pools, right? Not full hard pools.
1: Yeah, I'm not I'm not too sure, but I know a lot of these consumer apps are kind of like inaccurate. Okay. So when whenever like uh they say, "Oh yeah, my credit score is like 580." I'm like, "Okay, that means it, it's a lot worse than not a lot worse, but it's a little bit less, worse than 580. You know, it's probably like 560 or 570." So when it comes to that, I always like kind of refer them to like a credit specialist. Got you. And now what does the credit and, specialist do? So as far as I know, I mean, I'm not, I don't know what they right, really do. Right, right, right. <laughs> they're just supposed to help them with their credit. And the weird thing about that is they can't relay, uh to the consumer. Whenever they, uh, they get partnered up with the credit company, the credit repair company can't relay the information to the consumer, like what milestone they're at, which is really odd.
0: What you mean by milestone? Like what milestone they at with a credit score or? Yeah,
1: like, oh, uh, you're, yeah, you, like you're almost there, blah, 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 you know? Oh, you
0: just have they they just have to keep on doing the work and then check it, check it randomly, I guess. Huh? Yeah.
1: So, mm. um, yeah, so the credit, but the rep, credit repair company can relay the information to me. What? Yeah. <laughs>
0: that is so crazy. Wait a minute. So wait, so if I had bad credit and you recommended me to this credit repair agency where I guess they would be the one who would basically say, hey, you got these things on your credit, after they review it there, say, hey, these things that you have in your credit, Uh, maybe you need to pay this credit card off. And that kind of can bump your score up a bit here to help you out to get qualified for the loan. Because I would imagine, because I don't know either just like you, but I would imagine that they are looking at debt-to-income ratio to try to figure out what's the best avenue to to decrease the debt-to-income ratio. And you pay that off. You don't know what your credit score is, but they'll call you and say, hey, Oscar, I got them qualified you need to call them yeah get out of here
1: so yeah that's what when uh whenever i got uh whenever i got partnered up with this guy um that's what he basically told me is he can't really uh tell them whenever they're you know give them you know a milestone update during that process like he'll relate the information to me and tell them oh yeah they're here or they're there you know Which was really odd but um i guess that's how it works
0: (laughs) so then you pick the phone up and you call the client and be like hey did you check your credit score lately
1: so uh i haven't ran into that position yet because uh the people that i just referred um the clients that are referred to this credit company they just started like a couple weeks ago so i haven't really you know followed up with them to see how how they are
0: now for the agents listening to this podcast which i appreciate you if you are listening to if you're an agent but if you for an agent that's listening to this podcast when they go into that 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 section of having to get their credit looked at and worked on how do you as the lender look at them is there a nurturing contact maybe you gotta how how far down the pipeline do you see that them actually coming back and, and coming back
1: for business you know um with that, it just you know, yeah, I'll just nurture them. Like I just kind of see it's like maybe three to six months, you know. Sometimes when I send them off, like I only sent like two people and uh one of them like already ghosted me, you know. <laughs> gotcha. Just, uh, yeah, so it just really I guess it's a hit or miss, really.
0: Yeah, okay. So we talked, so so what about like okay, so if they may so with what happened, they have a qualifying credit score, but they have some derogatory things on their credit report.
1: Yeah, so when it comes to that, it's like uh, one big uh, red flag when it comes to that. It's like you don't want to have any any late payments in the last 12 months. Okay. So we kind of look at the credit report, and if they have any uh, late payments in the last 12 months, then, uh, you know, we just have to wait until, you know, that's clear. Because sometimes when we pull the credit report, you know, if I pull a credit report today, you know, it could be from a month ago. And uh, it, w- it really, you just have to calculate how far, like where we're at right now and whenever you pulled it and what shows on that credit report, if you get what I'm saying.
0: Yeah, it's basically like, okay, so I may pull your credit. To, so this is what happens to a lot of people when we we're going to get into the buying process here in a minute. But this is what happens to a lot of people in the buying process. I would guess it would be similar is that you may pull the credit today and a lot of the payments have not either one been haven't been due yet or they are coming just about to be due. And so they all look in positive standing at that point in time, but like during your closing process, it could be 15, 20 days in, all of a sudden you made a derogatory payment, made a late payment. And now it shows up in the lender sees it. It's yeah. almost the same thing, right?
1: Yeah. So, yeah, it is almost the same thing. And the one thing to keep in mind too, like right before you close, like if you're going to buy a home, they like, once you get that pre-approval, you know, and you're in that home buying like process and you like, you know, submit an offer and you're, expected to close on X amount, X day, don't like be buying a car like during that, that during that process, because they do a soft pull, you know, right before, um, like during the underwriting process.
0: Yeah. So we're going to talk, we're going to come back to that because I got a lot of things about that part, right. Uh, that Ivan just, just, whew, it'll just make you give you chills up your spine and worry about that part, but let's, so, okay, let's talk about that. Let's li- let's slide into the pre-approval. So you finally you find a way where they're pre-approved, and then what does the pre-approval do?
1: What is the pre-approval? It's not like no uh, no contract or anything. It's just saying, oh, uh, like this individual is pre-approved for, you know, let's say 300000 Like we kind of just did, uh, you know, we analyzed the credit report, you know. We, you know, took in consideration like their income, you know, seeing where their debt-to-income ratio is at as well um and then we made we made an assumption of how much they're able to you know buy a home for that's basically what a pre-approval is
0: now for some agents i don't know how many lenders talk like this but for some agents, they don't want pre they don't want pre-approval they they've been above pre-approval now they're at let's get them let's i want a fully qualified buyer like if i'm going out and making these offers i don't want it to be where they still have to get pre-approved for the loan, I want to know that this person qualifies directly for that amount. Have you seen
1: that? Directly for that amount? I mean, yeah. I mean, we usually when we do a pre-approval, you know, they're, a pre-approval is kind of like, it's a pre, you know, like qualification, like, okay, like this is what they're qualified. Like, let's say this is what they're qualified for, you know, like 300000 Like, we're doing our best to, you know, tell the real estate agent, it's like, hey, this is what they have, you know, to work with. And um, I guess you know when it comes to real estate agents, it's like you have to. You know, we do our due diligence when it comes to this. We don't just hand out pre approvals for no reason. Well, I don't. You know, we you we thoroughly go through all the information, and that way we can give you a precise number so we don't waste your time.
0: Hey, so I I, I agree with you, but I've seen where um no not, not I don't want to say I've seen because. I only been an agent for like four months. Let's not talk about what Craig seen before, four months. Okay. But I've heard instances where basically a person with a pre-approval could actually be uh have the offer rejected by the seller because somebody who lender said they're already fully qualified for this loan has some type of identification for that. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I mean, obviously, I haven't ran into the situation personally myself, so I may be explaining it a little weird. But I feel like that's the thing: is that basically you can have a pre-approval um, situation where, hey, yeah, you're a pre-approved. You can go out and shopping for a house with a real estate real estate agent, and you're within this spec, the specs, right? But then also, I've seen the conversation where the offer has already came in, and basically, you already know this person is going to be good for the money. At that point in time, it's not a, it's not a hidden agenda behind it. They still have to get qualified or anything of that other sort went through clothes and they're already qualified. Is that the same?
1: Yeah. I mean, I would say it's the same thing. Cause you know, when it comes to the pre-approval, like we take everything in consideration, like how much down payment funds they have, you know, and their income. So it's kind of like when it comes to that, I really don't understand what's going on because that's what pre- pre-approval is. It's like, Hey, they're pre-approved. Like once you get, accept this contract, we can, you know, start, you know, getting the loan process through underwriting that way it can be, you know, you know, uh, actually qualified for the loan. But yeah, I don't, I don't, I haven't seen that before.
0: Okay. So how much is, a uh, how, how long is a pre-approval good for?
1: So it just depends like on the credit report. And just spend on the credit report so it's like 120 days in virginia
0: i believe yeah okay okay guys gotcha. so 120 days uh to execute uh, uh, uh an agreed a uh, uh, agreed purchase contract right and then it gets ratified after you've seen it already right
1: yeah so uh yeah so like um yeah like i give you the pre-approval and then whenever you're in a ratified contract i have to uh you know see that ratified contract that way we can submit the loan that way we can go through underwriting. Okay. So how
0: how rigorous? Okay. So before I ask you that question, so now you get you get the ratified contract, or do you before you get the ratified contract, have you seen where does the, the listing agent wants to speak to the lender to make sure the funds are good? Yeah, so um I think
1: you have that so so um yeah, so I actually had that happen um, recently because um, I was dealing with this uh, borrower who had a—he was going to do a large amount, a large amount of money down, you know, and um, which was kind of crazy. It's like um, I usually reach out to the listing agents, like, "Hey, like you know, my borrower's good, you know, you know, we make sure he's good. Uh, he has enough funds for down payment, and we, you know, took everything in consideration. He's a he's a good candidate, right?" That's what I try to do. I try re- reaching out to the listing agents that way. Um, they feel confident in the offer. Gotcha. But, but but with this particular borrower, borrower, since he was doing such a large amount down the listings, the listing agent for the listing agent was calling me. It's like multiple times. Hey, is this person good? Like, is he, are you sure he had this much money that like in his bank account for this? It's like, I was like, well, you know, if I didn't hand out a pre-approval letter, like, um, you know, just take my word for it, which was kind of, which was kind of funny. Like I probably shouldn't have said that I should have probably said it in a nicer way, but, um, <laughs> I thought it was super funny when, uh, when it comes to those large down payment amounts, that's when the listing agents start blowing me up and, uh, just questioning if this pre-approval is, you know, is good.
0: Okay. So. Okay, so basically, okay, so basically, you may get a phone call or two, or you try to reach out to the listing agent in advance to make sure that, hey, the offer that you're getting is very strong. Cause it's a lot, it's all, that's all agents talk about nowadays in certain cases uh, is that they want to make sure it's a strong offer that they don't want to have any laps in the offer that, because one of the main things is that you have to bring a a fully qualified buyer to the agent to get paid, right? So that's what a lot of people care about. And that's why we're talking about it in that sense is that, uh, That they want to make sure the offer is strong so okay so now it goes into underwriting after the loan has been submitted how long is typical of an underwriting process
1: so it really all depends like on a uh, communication and that's why like communication is such a big deal in our industry you know the borrower can give me everything i need like in a day underwriting can be done in a day you know that's that's reality things really because i yeah. man, when i bought this house Underwrite, Well,
0: both houses. When I bought both houses, underwriting took about 20, 22, 23 days. Well, the first time I bought it, I don't think we wasn't at this electronic, this electronic life that we are now. Like DocuSign was a thing then, yeah. but it wasn't. You, I was still getting documents in the mail. Still, like yeah. at that point in time. But this time it still took about
1: 24, 25 days. Got it. Yeah. So no, when it comes to like underwriting, we can get it done pretty quick. Um, I know like we're a broker, we shop with a whole bunch of lenders, but we have like, we have great relationships with the account executive with these lenders. So let's say if, you know, all parties communicate and not, not be able to get all the documents I need, we can have it like underwritten. And like, you know, if I submit it, you know, seven nine a.m. in the morning, it will be ready by the next day. You know, really. So yeah. what?
0: So what makes other lenders 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 night in comparison to brokers? What makes lenders take so long to actually get some of these underwriting processes done? Then why are they so feel like they're so extensive?
1: So um, I I honestly believe um, when it comes to these other lenders, like um, you know, it's uh, I feel like they're just I I really don't know. I really don't know why people take so long, but I think it comes down as like maybe some of those lenders are getting paid hourly, you know. So maybe they're just taking <laughs> just taking their time. I have no idea. To be honest with you, <laughs> I would I was expecting that answer. That's not the answer <laughs> I was expecting.
0: Okay, okay, that's reasonable. I can see that if they are a paid employee on the clock and not on uh, on basically closing the loan and getting the, uh, getting whatever they. I don't know how high limits get paid by the way speaking of which but <laughs> um but at the end of the day closing a loan i'm pretty sure it has a value on it and that value gets paid out so why why waste time uh on a loan that you can that you can already qualify right away i i yeah. see your point
1: and then i, I think there, i mean i also got to take in consideration there's a lot of information too to digest type to digest so they're probably just like going just going through a whole bunch of information and I'm pretty sure you have to like have attention to detail because you're going through so much information and you don't want to get anything wrong too that could yeah. be a thing too okay so now we, let's get to the point where you were saying about um
0: things that you should avoid while you're in the underwriting process closing after you got your pre-approval letter and this goes all the way up until closing of that loan and i would even suggest 24 hours after the loan close. Right? <laughs> don't, don't, yeah. don't don't even think about it. It's a 24 hours after that. Have you been in that house or you had those keys in your possession for about 24 hours first and foremost, right? Mm-hmm. So uh like you were saying that you know don't go out and purchase a car, don't even do a mm-hmm. soft pull on a car, don't even touch your credit at all. Make mm-hmm. all payments on time and yeah. don't touch no more of your credit until after the you got those keys up the 24 hours later.
1: Yeah, that's what I I would suggest doing because I recently had a nightmare. Um, Tell you you really quick, but uh, this borrower I was helping out, I did a pre-approval on him, but when I pulled his credit, he bought the car like two days ago, right? Like two days before I even pulled his credit. So it didn't show show up on the credit report and um, we're supposed to close uh, next week. So, uh, you know, the lender did a soft pull on his credit right before closing and it showed that he bought a new car. Mm. Right. But we didn't catch that. We didn't, I didn't factor that into the debt to income ratio because it wasn't on the credit report at the time. Mm. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, so don't, don't think you can be sneaky. You know, you, Oh, he, I have the pre-approval letter and he hasn't asked me about his new car. You know, if, if it does come down to it and you do buy a car during the process, just, you know, just let somebody know during that time. <laughs>
0: Yeah, because it still may not affect the debt to income ratio, but, yeah. it,
1: but you gotta, it's got
0: to be taken into consideration and yeah. it could disqualify the loan and it could disqualify the purchase that you actually try to make, which can make you lose your earnest money deposit too, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it could. And then uh, he did get disqualified for the purchase, but luckily um, we were able to work with him and then figure out what he can do to close on time, which was great, you know, but Kind of, it's kind of crazy how uh things just happen like that,
0: <laughs> mm, yeah. I mean, that, that goes for furniture for your house, that goes for appliances for your house. I mean, I know you want to get all these plans done while you are waiting to move into your new home and you're super excited, but don't touch none of that credit until after you had those keys for 24 hours,
1: yeah, yeah, <laughs> that, that, yeah, for real. Uh, what would you say, uh, Craig? What would you say, like, um? I guess, like new, new, uh, if somebody's trying to buy in a home in 2023, like what should uh, people start doing now?
0: I think that you need to identify your. This is one of the things I was going to ask you about after we was going to close back on this because there's some tips and tricks to consider here. But I would say to me, you need to understand if you are ready to move, when are you looking to move? Because you got to understand factors of we got to understand factors of seasons because right now we're like winter time is like, it's a slower, slower mark. But if you decide to try to purchase in the spring or summer, you're going to be dealing with a whole lot more competition. It's going to be probably a lot more offers on one particular house that you're looking for, depending on the inventory in your community. And that's going to make it a little bit more competitive for you to actually find a home of value for yourself. Cause value usually raises in the spring and summer. Um, and it kind of like stagnates and, and decreases in fall and winter where you see price reductions come from. So that's one thing, clean up your credit in advance. Pull your credit report uh, prior to even reaching out to a realtor or even reaching out to a lender because you want to see what your credit score is. And then once you do reach out, have that information available. So that way, like, especially if you reach out to me, I can refer you, okay, well, let me get you over to Oscar so we can talk about this. So that way they can see if you can even qualify. So that way, if you don't qualify just yet, At least by the time that you want to move, that you're able to now decide, let me get my life together and get in this direction that I need to go to actually be qualified. And I think one of the most important things that you said is no late payments for the last 12 months. That's important because if you don't have that, you're going to make it harder for you to do your job to actually get them qualified in the first place. So those three factors alone are things that I consider. But one of the main things that I would always tell anyone know how much you want. Don't worry about how much you qualify for worry about how much you want to pay the mortgage. That's okay. the main thing, right? Like you may, like you say, they may qualify $480,000, but that $480,000 loan may make them at this point in time in this market, it may be a $3,000 loan. Yeah. Right. So you don't want a $3,000 loan more likely. So you want to figure out how much you're willing to pay on the mortgage that you're shopping for.
1: Um, yeah. What do you say about uh, a lot of, of first time buyers who want all these like bells and whistles on their home?
0: I feel like the I feel like the agent is doing them a disservice if they don't talk to them about that in advance. Right. Understanding yeah. um, exactly what it is that they want and kind of and this is kind of where I'm as a newbie. Right. This is kind of one of those things where I'm uh, I'm working and getting stronger at and trying to get more proactive in is understanding the communities and understanding the years and of builds as well, too. Because as an agent, like certain people might ask for certain things and you have to go back and you start you start looking at these properties, you're like, especially newer property. Everybody's always say, I want the newest property I could possibly get, but I want these things in there. Well, some of those things may not even be in a new property anymore. You know what I mean? Like, so now you got to look and see how far back they stopped making those, they stopped doing those type of models, right? Really? What, are,
1: what, are what is the thing? Okay, yeah.
0: so now whoever watching this podcast is going to know I'm talking about them. But look, one of the things is, is that um, one of the things that I have in those for a client is that they want uh, an a, a island in their kitchen, but then they want a second level of a raised bar in their kitchen as well, too. Okay. Most new builders don't build those anymore from what I've seen. I I Trust me, I spent like the last three days in the MLS looking to see, because they want a newer, newer model home. They almost want like a, a new construction home to where they can actually, um, where they actually can help, where they can actually make changes to the end of it, right, before they actually finish out the model. Got it. But then Got also, it. they this is what, like one of the main takeaways that they really want in their home because they want to do it for hosting, bar, like the, the bar areas, like for hosting and things of that nature or whatever, All right. right? So, but really, truly, those bills haven't been seen. I haven't seen any of them that, that predates 2015 like that. Wow. So like, that's like the type of things where I feel like agents have to, I don't know. I ain't gonna say all agents, but if an agent who really cares about their client's perspective and what they're trying to provide them that, that five-star service, you want to know those type of things. So that way you can kind of help your agent, your client, know what they got going on. So to me, to answer your question about newbie uh, like new first time home buyers who want the bells and whistles, it's fine to want the bells and whistles, but you got to understand what type of payment it comes with that. So then once you try to figure out what that payment is, then that helps me show you the homes that's in your price range. And now you can kind of take what's your, your, your plus your and minuses because you may not get everything that you want in the home, but then they could give you the opportunity to make the home yours because now you get to make the modification to the home that betters you after you have built your savings up, your cash reserves a little bit to make those changes. Some people don't want to make changes, but I think yeah. it's better to understand what payment that you can actually qualify for first that you really want to spend oh. on.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's very important too because um yeah, it, it all comes down to your payment, like what you're comfortable spending each month. You know, that's the big thing when it comes to these uh first-time home buyers. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm all about I'm all about the bells and whistles.
0: Trust me, if you yeah. want to if you want to go look at all the bells and whistles, I I have no problem showing you all the bells and whistles, but let's make sure you qualify for it first. But then too, let's not get you buyer's remorse because you go look at a home that is so over overdone with bells and whistles and you don't even qualify to buy it or yeah. you don't want the payment <laughs> once you find that <laughs> what the payment really looks like so that's so that's to me that's the worst thing an agent can do because now you almost set your client up to be disappointed with whatever they actually going to wind up purchasing or putting the offer in at the later date or put no offer in at all because they want that house that they saw they had all the bells and whistles
1: yeah and i bet that's super disappointing like going into a home and then like figuring out that the monthly payment's like $500 more, you know, than yeah. you want to afford.
0: Yeah. I, so like, it, it, like I know real estate and cars are two different perspectives, but they have so many similarities, right? Because one is not a, a large asset as the other. But when you look at, uh, like for me, I, I, people going to talk about me. Sure enough. What, whatever I drive a Honda Sonata, right? And okay. it's a 2016 yeah. I had made chief and, and I was like, man, I'm going to buy me a new car. So I looked at the actual, this is in 2016. I actually went and looked at the 2015 Honda Sonata. I'm like, I'm going to get the 2015. I don't even need a new model car. I'm just going to get the 2015. So I got there and I got in the car. like, man, this thing ain't as as bad as I thought it was, man. So you want to look at the 2016? I said, sure. Let me go look at it. <laughs> I sat in the car and I said, dang, I'm going to buy this car. That's exactly what I said. about yeah. But I already knew I could afford that car. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: you know what I mean. So I had already, I had already psyched myself down. At the end of the day, I want the 2015, but the 2016 was only like going to cost me like eighty dollars more in payment. Yeah, okay, might well. so I might as well get the 2016. So that's what I mean when you talk to clients. You want them to kind of know, you know where, what the what their expectations are, and helping them guide themselves through the expectations.
1: Yeah, and that's one of the, that's one of the first questions I asked you is like, hey, what are you comfortable like spending your What's your monthly payment? You know, what are you comfortable spending there? That's one thing I kind of asked them whenever I first start talking to them.
0: Yeah, I mean, so you would think that, um, you would think that basically they should know. All right, but a lot of people don't take that into consideration. So that's one of the things yeah. that, um, I, I always suggest when a buyer, when you're doing a buyer consult, just to, hey, like, Really and truly, what do you want to spend? Okay, have you even looked at what that mortgage calculator looks like? Have you talked to a mortgage officer or a lender? And if you haven't, let's find out how much you really qualify for and then how much that they possibly can recommend that you stay within the range of so you can afford the type of house that you can afford each month without breaking the bank.
1: Yeah, yeah, that is true. And, oh, and one, one thing to consider too is like, um, whenever you're thinking about, oh, how much my, should my monthly payment be? Um, you should, because uh, like, you're going to have to like get homeowner's insurance, right? Yep. So if you've been filing claims on your insurance, like the past couple years or, you know, and then you go apply for homeowner's insurance for your home, you're going to have a higher, you know, monthly payment because your insurance cost is going to go up if you've been filing claims in the past.
0: Hmm yeah yes mm, yeah so that's something to take into consideration too so even getting a speeding ticket can possibly almost hurt your insurance too right
1: uh for i mean well i think well the, the buyer also hoping now she was running so during uh her, oh personal uh, pro-
0: so her personal property yeah. insurance went
1: up so yeah. i would think that the car insurance would make it go up too so like
0: if you get like it may not be, it may not affect the, oh, the, the, yeah. the what you have now but the following months car insurance cycle when they raise your your premium it's going to kind of be a red flag too to the to the insurance company overall when they're trying to make your homeowner's insurance.
1: Yeah, because uh, yeah, a lot of people bundle their insurance yeah. with their yep. auto, yeah, that's, yep. that's interesting, yeah.
0: So, so to me, one of the things um, that I think people should always uh, take into consideration is uh, understand uh, when it comes to your loan, what type of loan vehicle that you're gonna use, right? So we didn't talk about those just yet, but we got a little time, so let's talk about them now. Like we know that there's a conventional loan, a VA loan, uh FHA loan and the USDA loan right I typically I'm pretty sure you are doing more VA loans right in this area
1: yeah yeah so usually my my strong suit right now is like FHA conventional VA you know the common three um yeah so there's a lot of good you know for first-time home buyers they're great programs you know if you're a VA borrower zero percent down the only thing you have to worry about is closing costs and that's roughly like three percent of the sale price of the home so you kind of want to have that saved up or if you work with a really good real estate agent, like Craig, he can probably negotiate that for you. <laughs> right. Damn right. Damn,
0: damn right. Seller
1: concessions.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then when it comes with uh FHA, you know, it's three and a half percent down, but then you also have to, you know, factor in closing costs. So that's another 3% on top of that. But you know, you can always negotiate that if you go with Craig and then, huh? For conventional there is a first-time home buyer but you have to like meet uh, a certain uh income requirement i don't know it off the top of my head but it's a three percent conventional and uh also got to factor in closing costs which is three percent because a lot of people leave that out so a lot of people try to hook these uh you know first-time home buyers it's like oh all you need is three and a half percent down for fha loan it's like yes you do if you can negotiate that if you can negotiate closing costs but I always try to prepare for worst case scenario. So just always factor in that 3% of a uh, closing cost.
0: Yeah. Worst case scenario was all of 2020 to 2022. <laughs> like, yeah. I, man, like at, at the beginning, into the, to June of 2022, you wasn't getting anything like for two years, like seller concession. I'd be damned. You're going to have to go. I'm going with the other, the other offer that's on the table. Yeah. who ain't offering anything. Like, so that is very, um, that is very uh, true, right? Uh, consider uh, what your closing cost is now. So, on the VA loan, is there a cap on the uh, seller concessions?
1: Um, I think there is a cap on seller concessions. I don't know it off the top of my head. But with, I know with the VA loan, um, you can use seller concessions to like pay off debt. You know, which is a cool thing okay. too.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Um, yeah. Then uh, so. And I'm guessing FHA would have a seller concession cap as well too, but conventional they probably would there wouldn't be one for seller concessions.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm not too sure on the cap. Okay. Yeah.
0: So 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 I'm I'm interested in uh I'm interested in learning more about the loan uh types so we can uh you know give uh, viewers and listeners um opportunity to understand what is um affordable to them and what they can actually have in their review as they think about what's, as they prepare for 2023 because 2022 is in the review And I think that's going to be one of the things that a lot of people are going to be dealing with lately. Well, coming up this following year is that, uh, seller concessions are going to be big because interest rates are, are going to like they're going to be stagnant for a while, at least until fall of next year. Um, uh, so we'll see. I don't think they're going to blow, balloon a lot, but I think they will be somewhat of, um, of an average right now where is, where is conventional loans at today as you and when you check them out
1: yeah I, I didn't check them out today but uh, uh last on a uh, friday they were like around i think like six percent six percent yeah okay
0: so yeah so see that's why i'm at right now so i think that six percent is probably going to be uh where we're going to float for a little bit and so my last question for you and we'll round this up uh is that what about people who say oh you should purchase now and you can re- always refinance later.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a good tactic, you know, to get, you know, people interested in. But you you have to, like, you know, take into consideration if they are going to qualify whenever they do that refinance, you know. That's, that's one thing. But, yeah, it's always good to, you know, uh, I would say if you're ready to buy a home, but you're kind of, like, tiptoeing because of rates, how they are or, uh, you know, what you're hearing all over the place, I would say buy if you can afford it. You know, because you're going to build equity over time. And then uh when it comes down to, do, to it, if rates do drop, you can always refinance.
0: You know, I think a lot of agents are pushing the buy now because you don't really know what what the hell is going to happen in the market, and then eventually, you know, you will get the opportunity to refinance when rates eventually drop. But I think what clients don't really understand, and what it's hard, it's hard on agents. This is the hard part on agents because it is a it is a paradigm where you have to understand where, yeah, rents are up against your neck. You're basically you're basically just spending more to rent or about the same as it would the cost to own at this point in time, when you take everything into consideration. Um, But a lot of people also have this, this fanatic dream of what they saw from 2020 to early 2022 should be the norm when it really isn't. Um, Yeah. And I think that what that leads that down to is that people don't understand when interest rates increase, home prices drop and when interest rates decrease home prices go you know what I mean? Like you can afford yeah. more house. So I think a lot of people just don't take those to consider. They they don't really understand the shift in that a lot of times. And it makes it hard on the age and the lender too to kind of think, hey, you gotta you gotta tell back some of those wishes.
1: <laughs> yeah, like uh, yeah, it's kind of crazy because um yeah, everybody has this like taste of what 2020, 2021 was like because I have like borrowers coming to me and then like uh I would like price out a scenario for them, like, oh, what's gonna be my monthly payment? at, you know, 300000 or 400000 at this rate. And they're uh, kind of blown away by, um, you know, the monthly payment price because their friend bought a $400,000 home a year ago, you know, when rates were super low. So they're getting this feedback from their friends like, oh, yeah, my mortgage payment is X amount. How come they're quoting you this, you know? And it's all those people who aren't in the industry causing this storm.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Which is kind yeah. of crazy.
0: It is. And it's not going to stop anytime soon. So, so you have to be, this is why I think it's important to have a, a power team in your corner, like a lender and a realtor who basically speaks the same language and kind of understand what the, what the market and environment is looking like so they can give you sound advice on how to go about building yourself up or at least building up your reserves to actually be in the market to afford a home. Cause home on it's nothing like home ownership, you know, and, and all the way you understand that is if you actually been a homeowner or you were potentially trying to be a homeowner and you're sick of renting, like really insurance all the way you would know. And yeah. so that to me is where I think uh, I'm at too, is that I don't believe a refinance scenario is for everybody. Uh, and you de- and like you said, you definitely have to qualify for it again, you know, and to even get that rate down. And then in a lot of these cases for refinance, you got to have the, 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 the cash for closing costs too, right?
1: Yeah, because you got to take, it It just depends what like a loan type you're trying to do. And then you have right. to take into consideration the loan to value um, of the program. So you got to factor that in. But when it comes to refinances, you just got to think it's like, where are you going to be at like a year or two years in life? You know, are you going to switch jobs? Because if you switch jobs, that might as well apply you depending on what job you go to, mm. right? Let's say if you go from W-2 to 1099, that's definitely going to be a rocky road because it's not steady income. Man, I mean, you could, right. it, it could be steady income, but it's, t- it's totally in a different field, you know. Yeah, but, and you um, got
0: you might be—they may be sending twelve months of bank statements over to you, so you can average. <laughs> average
1: yeah, it out. Yeah, that, yeah, that was for uh, the non-qualified uh, mortgage loan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, yeah. Man, but that's crazy. It's a, it's a oh, was that Craig? No, I ain't saying anything. Go ahead. I was listening. Yeah, it's a lot. Of, it's a lot of factors when it comes down to it. That's why it's definitely, you know great to have professionals in your corner that way you kind of we'll do all the hard work while you just sit down and relax
0: right right definitely definitely like i'm got I'm, i got this call with you i gotta dig back into the mls some more and see if i can find find this right house so you know that's the type of things that we're looking at so i i, I appreciate this oscar man hey, we, if you are just now tuning in with us for this episode and you didn't catch last week's episode this is going to be continued with uh conversation between a realtor and a lender to get you uh, informed and keep you informed on uh, what's going on in the markets, especially uh, from our perspective because we're growing our business just as much uh, as helping you understand what's going on in the market too. So you're getting an interesting take and perspective from uh, two people who just entered the real estate market to help and service the community. And we're going to continue this uh, to the, the build upon these conversations and and see how far we take this.
1: Yeah, yeah it's going to be exciting. Yeah, thank you. Whoever just uh, is you know, going to watch this um if you have any questions just hit us up
0: definitely we'll leave uh, our contact information in the, uh the show notes in the description and we'll catch you in the next episode of the real estate scoop baby see y'all have a good day we'll talk to you soon bye greg bye <clears throat>